scripture that can be found on page four of the bulletin. This is Romans 8, 16, and 17. It's Romans 8, 26 to 30. But I'm only going to be preaching on 26 and 27. This Sunday will be out in the first one last Sunday. Romans 8, 26 to 30. Hear the words Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we are, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings, too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, the mystery has hopefully been solved. On Tuesday, the 121st birthday of Amelia Earhart, they believe that they have conclusively proven where the female uh, aviator went down on the small island uh, called Gardner Island, about 250 miles from where she was supposed to be. If you will recall, perhaps you were alive at the time, in 1937, Amelia Earhart was attempting to circumnavigate the globe, hopping from place to place, fueling. And she entered into the most difficult night of the trip, 2,227 miles, landing on Howard Island. Well, she never arrived. There was a mayday. And she apparently had to ditch. And for the longest time, the, uh, the, the official word is she went down in the sea. Uh, and uh, some, but uh, things don't quite jive with that. You see, she sent out a series of distress calls over the next six days. The original one was picked up uh, as saying, have to put, put the plane down on a small, uninhabited island. She didn't know the name of it. And over the series of six days, at a specific time, mostly on uh, in fact, not most of it, always at night during a certain period, the messages would come out. Over 57 people around the world heard Mayday messages as she spoke more and more uh, about the plane taking on water, the navigator being hurt, and things becoming dire. About two days later, the message was short, simply still alive, better hurry, tell my husband I'm all right. After six days, the signal stopped. The U.S. Navy sent a battleship out to try to find Amelia Earhart. Uh, they, they, just, they tried to figure out where she was, but they never could find the plane. In fact, they still haven't found the plane. But this uh, intrepid uh, observer uh, investigator figured out by examining the tides and when the messages went out, he believed that she had to crash the plane and that she crashed on the reefs. And the only time that you can charge the batteries is when the engine's running, and that has to be above the water. So looking at the tides determined that the very place was Gardner Island, and at some time the plane slipped off the roof into the sea, uh, into the sea. and they uh, found some bones on that island that they believed to be a million airlines, but can't say it's 100% true, but uh, probably that's where a million airlines went down. Now, why do I share that story? What does that have to do with the sermon I'm preaching on? Well, the sermon is about prayer. It's about communication. 
And I think sometimes we feel like our prayers are like those of Amelia Earhart. We want to communicate with God our dire situation. But there seems to be something lost in translation. Maybe some snippets are dead and free, maybe they're not. We call for help, but help doesn't seem to come. And we begin to wonder if we're going to be rescued at all. In fact, sometimes we simply at the end give up. The messages aren't getting through. God can't hear what we're saying. And so we struggle with our prayer life. Sometimes not praying at all or maybe lobbing up half-hearted weak prayers and hope that maybe one of them will get through. There's a suffering and a struggle in the prayer. But this sermon, this passage, is more than simply about hope. It's about power. Because what we need is more than hope. We need power. We need someone to come alongside us, if you will, to boost the signal, to teach us how to pray, to take the weak and feeble efforts that we produce and to turn them into something that gets to God in such a way that it hears and that it acts. This is the role of the Holy Spirit. God has not only given us hope in the Christian life, he's given us help. He's given us someone who is inside of us, the spirit of life, who is able to translate and understand our deepest groanings in our hearts and to bring them into our Heavenly Father's throne room in such a way that every single longing of our heart is being heard by the Holy and indeed, all things do work for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Because God knows what he needs. And the Spirit is praying on our behalf. And so I hope to demystify in the next four hours of my sermon an understanding of what it is that the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts that can encourage us and embolden us to pray more and more in our Christian life. I want to talk about three specific things. Number one, our struggle in prayer. Why is prayer so hard? Why is it a struggle? Number two, I want to talk about our helper in prayer, the Holy Spirit who comes alongside us. And finally, I want to talk about our success in prayer, the Heavenly Father who hears us because of the efforts of the Holy Spirit. So let's begin with our struggle in prayer. Verse 26 starts us out, and likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how, excuse me, what to pray for as we are, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings, too deep for words. So this first word, likewise, means that the Spirit, he's referencing another action of the Spirit. If you remember in verse 16 and 17, we see one of the first role of the Spirit is to show us and to open our hearts and help us to enable to cry to God as our Heavenly Father. So the Spirit shows us and enables us to cry out to God as Father. But this is the second action, the second ministry, if you will, of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to pray. And why is it that we need to know why do we need to have power to pray? Well, it's this. Because, as verse 23 says, that not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for our adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
the Christian life is a life of moving from birth, excuse me, from death to life, and birth, if you will. If anyone knows of when a baby is born, it's more new, it's in the world, but it's weak. It has to grow, it has to strengthen. So simultaneously in the Christian faith, we are born again, we are a new creation in Christ. But we are a weak creation. We're a creation that needs to grow, that needs to get stronger. Indeed, we'll never be finished as a work, if you will, until the end, when our bodies are redeemed, when God comes. Until, until then, we are weak. We are spiritually weak. But one of the challenges of living and acknowledging our spiritual weakness in this world is we live in a culture that despises weakness. Right? There's only one place you want to be in that first place. Second place is the first loser. If we were to go back and look at who was the second place finisher in the NCAA tournament, it'd be hard to remember. Or the second place, you know, finisher in the in the Super Bowl, we don't know who that is because we only care about first place. I shiver to think of the people that decide to run for office, right? What instantly people do is they examine their entire past. Every single time they've ever screwed up, they've ever messed up. And that is who they are as a person, instantly disqualified. It's a brutal process. I don't know why anyone would want to run. I see the Mickey Man, he's the school board. Not in her head. Why? Because we expect perfection. We despise weakness. We love the beautiful. We love the accomplished. We love the talented. Everything else is second place. And so to acknowledge, to live in a world that despises weakness, and to acknowledge the reality that we are spiritually weak, is countercultural, but it's decidedly Christian. Notice what this passage says, for we do not know what to pray for as we are. What does that mean, we do not know what to pray for as we are? Well, praying is an example, or, or really the quintessence, if you will, of weakness. We we weren't weak, we wouldn't need to pray, right? We would have everything we need. But we do pray. But the problem is we don't know what to pray for because we don't know God's will. We are unspiritual, right? We do not know what to pray for as we ought. We are not as we are, as we will be. And so determining God's will is one of the most difficult things to do. So often, my will overrides God's will. I want to substitute, I don't know God's will, and I think I know God's will, but the reality is when I look at it, honestly, it's my will. This isn't just a problem with Carlos or a problem with us, it's a problem with people throughout the Bible. Think of the book of Job, right? Job was an upright man, and all these things start happening to Job. And Job is praying to God, he doesn't understand what's going on. And his laments are, are bitter, Lord, just kill me now. I wish I'd never been born. And in the end, God shows him that this was God's will for you. What's the most important thing is to submit to my will, but Job can't understand God's will. Why? Because he's spiritually weak. But you see, what it says is that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. It doesn't say the Spirit rids us of our weakness, does it? No, that's not going to happen till the end. The Spirit has come to help us in our weakness, in the present state of where we are right now. 
Spirit has come to be the power that is lacking in our lives. Now, this is a great blessing when you think about it, that God has not left us to ourselves. See, many of us think in our prayer life or in our communication with God, what I need to do is I need to get my act together, and then God will hear me. Once I have my ducks in a row and I have my, my spiritual resume all filled out correctly, then I can go to God. But that's not what it says. It says it helps us in our weakness. For some of us, our Christian life is this, there is no help. Yes, God did his work on the cross. He died for me, and now I'm a Christian, but it's, it's time to get to work. I mean, he's given me a leg up, but now it's on me. And so I, I really don't have anyone to help me in our weakness. I need to cure myself of my weakness. But that's not what this passage is saying. God has sent someone to help us in our weakness, the Spirit of God. And if you know anything about the Spirit, the Spirit is the one who gives life and power to the commands of God. Remember the Spirit of God hovering over the waters in creation. And God spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. Many believe that speaking was Jesus Christ, the Word of God being spoken. But it's the Spirit of God that takes the Word of God and moves it out and brings it to life. It's the Spirit of God through which Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. It is by the Holy Spirit that Jesus was raised from the dead. Remember those words in Zechariah 4, 6, where God said, It's not by your might or by your power that things will be accomplished, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So here is the paradox of Christianity. When we embrace our weakness and the reality of it, God's power shows up the best. Even the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 was because uh, to keep him from becoming conceited because of all of the amazing things God was showing him, gave him this thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was. This pain, this weakness, if you will, and Paul pleaded to God, take it away. But what did God say? He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And what did Paul say? Did he despise his weakness or ignore it? He said, no. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's a struggle to pray because we're weak. I don't know if you've come to grips with the reality of your weakness. Have you ever had a nervous breakdown? I have. Surprise, it's not pretty, by the way. I remember I was, had launched down on my own. I had my own tech company, consulting company. And I was gonna change the world and uh, be on the shores of Brazil earning 15%. But it all of a sudden wasn't coming together and I went out and tried to make it work and made it happen, but it wasn't happening. And then one day for the first time in life, I couldn't get out of bed. Every time before, you know, you just sort of buck up and go out there and make it happen, smile, shake it off. 
and something I couldn't power through. See, I was a Christian. I had all the answers. But Jesus was most certainly my wingman to help bless my efforts. God needed to get me to the end of myself so that I could discover that it's not by your mind, Carlos, but by your power, the final spirit. See, what I'm trying to communicate to you and to myself again is that we have to see the truth, the So have you come to the end of yourself? See, there are the four attitudes that everyone in this room has for the weakness of themselves. Number one, they ignore it. That was like me before. I can make this thing happen. God do it in way that God knows. We ignore our weakness. But then you might discover the reality that you are weak. And some of us would despise our weakness. I hate it. I hate that I'm like this. I hate that I can't. And we despise that part of ourselves. And then we make growth, not to despise it, but to tolerate it. It's just a part of who I am. It stinks and mine stinks, but that's the way it goes. But where God wants us to get to at this point, where we embrace our weakness, we believe in it. Because God's power shows up just in weakness. And when we are weak, we strong. See, all along, wherever you are in any four of those stages, this is the important point. The Lord is with you. And you're not alone. Even when everyone else may abandon you. And it's just you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can never abandon you. He's always there. And he's the one who has the in your circumstances. When you get to the end of you, you discover that he's there. The Lord never designed us to live a life simply based on the amount of power that we have. He designed us for a supernatural life. But that only comes with supernatural power. So acknowledge the reality. So know what you're facing. He'll know if you need God, but he should. I need help. Lord, come here. This brings me to my second point, our helper in prayer. Because likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray for as we are, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. Have you ever been in a place where you don't know what to pray for? Might be there right now. I'm all prayed out. I don't know what to pray. There's examples of Satan in the Bible all the time praying and praying the wrong thing. Remember Moses praying to go into the promised land himself? God said, You're not going to go. You're not going into the promised land. How about Jeremiah praying for the Israelites that they would repent, that they would turn back to God? And God said, do not pray for these people and lift up a cry or prayer for them. And do not intercede with them, for I will not hear you. How about Peter with Jesus 
And Jesus said he had to go be crucified. And Peter said, no, no, it was never happened. Jesus said, Peter, get behind me. Say, you don't understand. You really God. See, left to ourselves, we get afraid to see that we don't pray because it doesn't seem to work. But what we discover is all along, the Spirit himself is interceding for us. This third person of the Trinity, God himself, is speaking for us. Notice that the Spirit is proactive, by the way. Not that we're calling out to him and saying, Spirit, help us. The Spirit is autonomously praying, continuously praying on our behalf, even when we don't realize it, even when we don't call for it. What does it mean to intercede? The word literally in the old French is a go-between. Somebody that steps in between one another to reconcile, to mediate, to bring together. In Christian speak, to pray on behalf of another. This Holy Spirit in us is continuously interceding to the Father on our behalf. But the Spirit who is in us knows our heart, knows our deepest longings, knows our desires, knows our failings, knows our flaws, knows our lies, knows our self-deception, knows us and knows what we See, that's what Jesus meant when he said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will send you a helper, a counselor, the Holy Spirit to be with you forever. How does this Holy Spirit intercede for us with groanings too deep for words? Well, what does that mean? We've actually seen two different places in Romans where it speaks of groaning, the groaning of creation and the groaning of us as we long for our completion. But this groaning by the Holy Spirit is a different kind of groaning. The Greek translation, if you want to see it sort of in its rawest form, means unspoken or wordless. If you will, there is a private prayer language between the Holy Spirit and God the Father and God the Son that we don't understand. A communication that we can't hear or see that is going on, that is translating the groanings of our heart into the groans of this private prayer language that is going to the world. I like the way Carolyn Nystrom put it, the author. She says that God, the Spirit, fixes our prayers on the way up. That means that we pray, we pray all sorts of ridiculous things often. Every now and then, a blind squirrel might find a nut. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is teaching us that the Lord takes our prayers and fixes them on the way up. So when they get to the Lord, they get to the Lord with effectiveness and power for the things that we really need. That nothing is wasted. So we have two intercessors. We have Jesus the Christ who's interceding for us in the throne room of the Father by his blood making us to be flawless and pure before the Father. And in our hearts we have the intercession of the Holy Spirit who is translating and fixing our prayers. We have 
both sides of the line covered, if you will, with God. That's why we have success in prayer. I love verse 27, which I'm going to preach on next week. And if you know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Everything. When we look back upon it, we see everything in our world, even things that are allowed to happen is now evil. We will see God's hand all over them, shaping and molding us. As each prayer is heard by the Father. I remember when uh, when our second son was born, uh, Will, Mark was our first son, Will, and they were two peas in a pod, we go around together. And Will didn't speak that much. We were a little bit concerned that he didn't speak that much. He was a very offensive fellow. <laughs> but not we didn't speak that much because Mark was always with him, and Mark seemed to know exactly what Will needed. <laughs> and so when Will would speak in some sort of intelligible garble that we couldn't understand, we all turned to Mark. <laughs> and Mark would say, ah, da, 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 da. oh, exactly how I think it's Mark knew what Bill needed, and he translated it in between Bill's voice to our ears. The Holy Spirit is doing the exact same thing all the time for us. He's doing it right now. Even though we can See, here's the application. You may say, I'm terrible in prayer. Guess what? He isn't. He's the expert in prayer. He can take our groanings and translate them into proper speech to our Heavenly Father. You may say, I'm ineffective in prayer. But he's not. You may beat yourself up for prayers you prayed in the past, for prayers you didn't pray in the past. Guess what? God took every single one of them. Translated through the Holy Spirit to the Father. And the Father always acts with perfect love with us. Yes, He does allow things to be hated sometimes to accomplish what He Remember the Son's prayer, O Father, if you can take this cup from me, said Jesus. But not as I will, but you will. Through the Holy Spirit, the Father knew what was the best path for Jesus and the Lord. The Son went to the cross. Who said that every dream has a birth, a death, and a resurrection? And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. Our prayers often seem to have a birth and a death. Still waiting for some of them for resurrection. But many of them I've seen. The Lord worked and somehow worked through me because of the translation of the Holy Spirit. So, what does He want from us? The Spirit does all of this work. Shouldn't we just sit back? No, He wants us to participate in this work of learning how to speak the language of God. And so, we should pray often. So that God can work with us through the Holy Spirit. Does he pray even when we don't pray? Yeah. 
But we want to participate in this. God wants us to. We should pray often, too. We should pray expectantly. Lord, I'm not sure if this is the right prayer. I'm doing the best I can. But I can pray expectantly because I know that you're going to work in some way because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit that's in me. I can pray dependently. It's not just me going to the Heavenly Father alone. Like the Holy Spirit is with me. Holy Spirit, help me to pray. Help me to know the will of God. And I'm going to do my best, but I'm going to pray. And I trust you. Finally, pray confidently. I'm going to pray confidently because I know that the Spirit is going to take my feeble efforts, my five loaves, and my two fish, and He's going to feed a multitude. And this, of course, leads to my third point the success of prayer. Verse 27 And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So who is he who searches hearts? Well, that's our Heavenly Father. Our Father searches our hearts. And our Father who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit and the Son and the Father are one. They're perfectly linked up. It's the eternal Bluetooth connection between the Spirit and the Father. And the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit always prays for us according to God's will. Isn't that amazing? When we don't know God's will, the Spirit does, and He takes our feeble prayers and fixes them on the way up. The Holy Spirit expresses our heart longings perfectly to the Heavenly Father, and they are perfectly understood by the Heavenly Father, even if we can't comprehend them all ourselves. See, I don't know me so often. I don't know what to pray for my family so often. I don't know what to do about my needs and desires, whether they're right or wrong, so often. But the Spirit does. He takes my prayers, and He makes them all according to the will of God, so that our prayers through the Holy Spirit are as effective as those of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a bold statement, isn't it? But think about it. Did not Jesus say, the reason that my Father always hears me is because I pray everything according to his will. I'm always about my Father's business. That's why the Spirit hears me. That's why my Father hears me. See, through the Holy Spirit, it's the exact same thing. Don't, don't shoot me. Read the Scripture. Right? Because the Spirit always intercedes according to the will of the Father. And so the Father always hears my prayers translated through the Holy Spirit. We get to participate through the Holy Spirit talking to the God of the universe as we heard. We're like a child learning a new language. The Holy Spirit is like the elder brother was to Will, walking alongside of us, showing us God wants us more and more to learn how to pray according to the will of the Father. And so he's given us the Holy Spirit. But even as we are neophytes, even as we're selfish and depraved and weak, the Holy Spirit never stops. 
Do you live your Christian life with confidence? The Holy Spirit in me is praying effectively every moment, every minute. And therefore, whatever situation, whatever tragedy, whatever's going on, it's going to be okay because the Father hears me. That's the comfort that we can receive. I don't know if everything is going great for you, and I don't know if your world is falling apart. But true freedom does not come when all of your ducks lie out there alone. True freedom comes when your entire life is falling down around you and you can put your head on your pillow and rest with a smile on your face because you know your Heavenly Father is for you in the first place. That's the blessing of the Holy Spirit. So leave here with confidence. Leave here with expectation. Leave here with a sober assessment of yourself. You ain't all that. And he is all that. And he's in me, not in me. So praise God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you not only gave us hope, you gave us help. Jesus, you sent your spirit into our hearts to help us to remember and know that we are indeed children of God. That you continue to work translating our prayers, fixing them on the way up. Lord, help us pray with boldness and confidence, dependence on you, all the while taking joy in the fact that God the Father hears every single prayer we pray, translated and fixed according to your will. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.